0: Uh, all right, enough of this. There's uh, my welcome back Carter era. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, my small group, the donkey, the clown, it's, uh, I'm overwhelmed. That was, that, was, that was really sweet. I'm getting old. We're all getting old. We're slowly decomposing. We can be honest about that. So, anyways, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, too, too cute, too cute, too cute. How y'all doing today? All right. I think we have an offering, don't we? Let's take up a continue our worship by taking up an offering as we try to segue into this more serious uh, part of the service here. Um, this is the time where you know, the kingdom spreads by the people of God, replicating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which made it all possible. We, as we repeat what he does, the kingdom of God grows. And that applies to every area of our life, including how we steward our resources. So we just pray that God would be cultivating kingdom values in our lives. I want to pray for the offering. I'd like to pray uh, for the message as well. Can I get some people around the auditorium who will be intercessors for me? Uh, Okay, there you go. Just pray for me as the message is going forward. Let's pray. Father, I I just thank you for this body of people, Lord, and for the freedom we have here, and the fun that we have here, Lord. And um, Lord, every year that we live, every breath that we breathe, every moment that we exist, it's a gift from you. And so we thank you for it, Lord, I thank you for the 45 years I've had. I pray for 45 more. And I pray, Lord God, that the second 45 would be be even better than the first 45. Father, uh, we, we thank you for the opportunity to spread the kingdom of God and to invest in something that has eternal value. We pray, Lord God, that you'd be cultivating in our minds and cultivating in our hearts kingdom priorities. Make us true disciples, Lord God, who really live in congruity with our faith in all areas. And Lord, as the word goes forth, we pray, Lord God, that you would land on it, infuse it, use it to change us, to confront us, and to free us. If that doesn't happen, Lord, there's really no reason for this to to happen at all. So, Lord, take control, have your way, do your thing, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're talking about love. We're talking about the main obstacles to love. Christian growth is all about growing in love. In fact, Christianity is all about love. The purpose for which God created the world was love. The central mission of the church is love. It really is that simple. It's Christianity 101. It's also Christianity PhD. I really worry about people who develop this mindset about how, oh, love is just sort of an elementary thing. You know, that's just, yes, 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 yes. But we need to get on the more important things like our theological distinctives and this, that, and the other thing. You never get beyond the need to hear about love, and there's always more growing in love that needs to happen, amen? If, if we're living in love the way the Bible says we, d- we need to live in love, everything else we need to do is going to get taken care of. But if we're not living in love, then there's nothing else worth, worth, worth taking care of. It's, it's the all or nothing of the Christian life. But the main obstacle we've seen is not what most people think. The main thing that separates us from God is not what most people think. You go back to the origin of all of our problems in Genesis chapter three, what you find is a tree, a prohibition, a boundary between us and God. And that boundary is the knowledge of good and evil. And the main thing that blocks the flow of God's love to us, abiding in us and flowing through us, is our knowledge of good and evil. And I think probably less than one out of ten thousand Christians understands that, really wrestles with that. It's interesting, but but God is one of the most distinctive titles and attributes of God throughout all of Scripture is His holiness. He's holy. We sang about it this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But because we normally think through our grid of our knowledge in good and evil, and we're always dividing up everything in terms of our assessment of whether it's good or evil, we tend to think that holiness is about super goodness. So God's holiness is a super super goodness. Now God is super super good. But that's not the essence of His holiness. The word holy, the the root of it in in, in Hebrew means to cut and to separate, to amputate, to set apart. That's the, the core of the meaning. God is holy because He's distinct. He's separate from us. And when God calls us to be holy, it's not primarily about our goodness. It's about a distinct way of living. It's our distinctness. But God is distinct from us. He's Creator, we are creature. He's sovereign. He, he, he's, he's infinite, we are finite. His holiness is the way in which He's distinct from us. Now note this. When God first set up the whole project, the main way, the central way, He wants to be known as distinct from us. is signified by that tree in the middle of the garden around which everything else rotates, and that is the knowledge of good and evil. To to respect, to reverence, to worship God as holy means we we leave all judgment to Him. He alone is God. He alone is omniscient. He alone is supposed to know good and evil. When we try to do the knowledge that only belongs to God, we screw it up. And it blocks the flow of love in our life. When we try to be like God in a way that God says we're not to be like Him, namely knowing good and evil, we stop being like God in the way that we are supposed to be like Him, namely in terms of our outrageous love. We can't live in love and live in judgment at the same time. We have got, the main obst- obstacle to us being the outrageous loving people that God wants us to be is that our head is full of judgment, full of opinions, full of thoughts. We look around we just get all these, these, these we're always assessing things in terms of good and evil as though we are judge. It's not our place. In fact, it's damaging to us and damaging to them and damaging to the reputation of Christ when we walk around with a head full of opinions. The opinions, the judgments, the critical assessments are like castipation, if I may. It blocks the flow. It just blocks the flow of God's love in our lives. I, I don't know if that analogy works or not, but let's just go with it. It, it, it clogs it up. It's like every, every critical judgmental thought we're thinking just squashes to some degree the flow of God's love in our life. Because we're being like God in a way that we're not supposed to be like God, and therefore we're not being like God in the way that we are supposed to be like God. Our job is to love outrageously. Here's a principle I want to put out. There's a few exceptions to this. We'll talk about them later, but here's the principle. If someone hasn't invited you in on their life to do something to help them grow, they, 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 you don't have an incarnational relationship with them. They haven't said, hey, will, will you keep me accountable? Will you walk with me? If someone hasn't invited you in in their life, you don't need to have any opinion about them other than the one opinion that God tells you to have about them, and that is that they have an unsurpassable worth because Jesus died for them. It is that simple. It is that simple. You don't need... What is the purpose of you holding opinions about somebody that you're not in relationship with? It's only self-serving. You're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're making yourself feel superior. You're making yourself feel as judge. But you're not. It's not your place. We look at people and we immediately start assessing. And we do it so instinctively we don't even notice it. Or if we do notice it, we think it's a godly thing we're doing. Where we say, oh, well, I think they're too fat, I think they're too skinny, I think they smell good, I think they smell bad, I think they're too tall, I think they're think too short, oh, I don't think they're really sincere in their worship, they're really trying to, to, uh, to, to, to just show off there, oh, I, I think they smoke too much, or I think they drink too much, or I think they don't treat their kids right, or, or whatever what's the purpose of those opinions? You don't need to have them. They only serve one purpose, and that is to make you feel like you're better than the other person. But God doesn't give you the right or the opportunity or the mandate to have those opinions. Your one opinion is that this is a creation of God for whom Jesus died. You see, that's your only thing. We, you don't need to have any other thought about it. Leave it to God. And, and our job is just to love outrageously. It is so freeing. It is the essence of of what it is to be a full human being. When you learn how to collapse all that pollution in your brain and you just love. You walk around the mall, you're just loving. Walking down the street, you're just loving. You're just saying, there's a person with unsurpassable worth, and I ascribe that to them. And maybe the opportunity will rise for you to do it in deed as well as in thought, or in word as well as in thought. But that's our job. It's just to love outrageously without judgment. It says this in Titus. Speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. Thinking is just a matter of speaking to yourself, and, and you're not given the right, I'm not given the right to speak evil of anybody. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's about God to decide. We're, we're not allowed to do that with anybody. Um, it just doesn't need to be there, and to the extent that we do that, whether it's in our mind, or whether it's in our word, or whether it's in our deed, we're blocking the flow of love. In James chapter 4, it says this, Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil and, and judges the law. You're putting yourself over the law. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? You just don't know what you're doing. We're trying to, we're trying to use a knowledge that only belongs to an omniscient being. And when we do it, it screws us up because we are not omniscient. We're not in the role of judge. Our only job is to love. Ephesians 5, as we've seen before, I've dealt with these scriptures before, but we can't hear them enough. Live in love. Live in love. That means breathe love. Uh, You you, you know, uh, get up in the morning and you're in in love. Uh, Throughout the day, you're walking in love. At night, you're walking in love. Live in this one. Never leave this. This is your one job. How should you love? Well, as Christ has loved you. It's that simple. He loves you even when you don't deserve it. You love when, 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 when people don't deserve it, and it's not your place to be deciding whether they deserve it or not. You're, our job description is very, very narrow, and that's freeing. We're fully alive. We're fully awake. We're fully being what God calls us to be. We're walking, you're going to find you walk in joy and you walk in freedom when you do the one thing that God calls you to do, and that is to love outrageously. Love outrageously. It says in Colossians, Above all, clothe yourself in love. Wear this one. First 1 Peter, above all, above all, above all your opinions, above all your, your ethical ideas, above all, maintain constant love. Constant, unvarying love. That's our job description. It's what we are called to do. And, and it is, when, 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 you, when you do this and get rid of the constipation in your brain, uh, it, it, the love of God, you become like a window through which the light of God's love shines, and now you're, you're being the creature that God called you to be. Walking in outrageous love. If, if if until we get this one down, I don't think we have any business. I, I, Woodland Hills or the church at large dealing with anything else because this is the center of the center. You get this down, everything else you need to get down is going to get down. You don't get this one down, there's nothing else worth getting down. Paul says, I don't care if you speak in tongues of men or of angels. I don't care if you've got all the prophetic powers in the world and you've got the word of knowledge going and you have a faith that can move mountains and you give your body to be burned and you do all these sorts of good works. If you don't have love, it's altogether worthless. It's religious noise, a clanging cymbal, a sounding gong. This is, this is the beginning, middle, and end of everything. It's, it's, it's that simple. This is what we're called to walk in. And it's freeing when we do it. Okay, by way of review, now if you haven't been here before, if you've missed a couple sermons, I'm building week to week. I try to review a little bit, but uh, some of this maybe is going to be a little fast for you. Uh, I encourage you to take advantage, whether you've been here the whole time or not, take advantage of our website where we're putting up the sermon, we're putting up a study guide that goes along with it. Uh, Discuss it in your small groups, your house churches. Discuss it in your families. Do your own study on it. I really encourage you to be internalizing this. But here's a little review. We've been contrasting life in Christ with life in the flesh. Life in Christ is life as God intended it to be. Life in the flesh is the way it is for all of us and all human beings. And the goal of the Christian life is to move from the being in the flesh to, to living as it is in Christ. In Christ, everything's based on the truth. The truth of who God is and the truth of who we are. And that's revealed in Jesus Christ. Knowing who the true God is and knowing who the true you are is, uh, you, you, you have a fullness of life. All your life is derived from Christ. Your worth, your significance, your value, how you think about yourself, uh, it's all found in Christ, and there's a fullness that is there. And therefore, everything that you do, it simply expresses the fullness of life. Doing is an expression. It's a celebration of who you are. And out of that comes, and this is the piece I want to talk about here this morning, a, a radical openness. Because you can, you can be real. Your worth is found in Christ, and that means there's nothing to perform, and there's nothing to hide, you're just real. There's an openness that is there. You see, we know one another in love because our life is found in Christ, so we're not busy trying to conceal stuff from one another. In the flesh, it's very different. The flesh is rooted on a lie. We see this in Genesis 3. The lie about who God is and the lie about who we are. From that then comes an emptiness. Emptiness. We're not getting life from, from Christ. God is untrustworthy in this lie, and we are empty in this lie, so we experience emptiness. And therefore, everything we do is about getting stuff we don't already have. We're always trying to fill the God shaped vacuum in our heart. It never works because the vacuum is God shaped, but we're always trying to. We're living life hungry, always eating off of our environment, and our environment's usually other people, trying to get work, get approval, get esteem. It's what we can call performing. We perform. And because we perform, and this is the piece I want to add this morning, we also hide. Whatever's inconsistent with that hiding, or whatever's inconsistent with that performing, is something that we have to hide. The passage I want to look at real briefly is Genesis chapter three. The book of Genesis chapter three paints the story of our life. This is what we're getting at here. This is this is the story of life in the flesh, and it's so amazingly inspired and profound. Genesis 3 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Here we see the, the knowledge of good and evil starting to have its effect. They were naked before, but they didn't care. Yeah, it wasn't something that they were ashamed of. Now there's a shame about their basic humanity, their vulnerability. So they have to clothe themselves. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And before they'd go out and meet the Lord, the evening breezes means the cool of the day, the the best time of the day. That was when they had fellowship with God. But now, because of, of the operation of the knowledge of good and evil, because of their sin, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Life in the flesh is all about performing and hiding. And what we're going to see is that to the extent that we perform and hide is the extent to which we can't be receiving and can't be giving the kind of love that God wants us to give. Life in the flesh is about performing and hiding. Why? Because we're we're living life empty, so we're always trying to get the life that God wants to give us for free. So we put on what we need to put on to get that life, and we hide what we need to hide to get that life. Life is a, a, a game of performing and hiding. So it's sort of like this. Let's say that I'm walking around empty. I'm not really getting life from Jesus Christ. Well, i got to get life. That's non-negotiable. So I'll get it from you. And since I'm a preacher, see how can I get life from you? I know in most religious circles, it would really help get life. You'll get approval. You'll be esteemed. You'll be honored if you're holy. So I will do holiness. So now my relationship with you will not be the real me to the real you. It will be mediated by my, by my, my putting forth holiness. I will put holiness on display and I'll hide from you any areas of my life that aren't holy. Performing and hiding, it's the way of getting life in the flesh. I need your approval. I need some recognition. I need you to think that I'm I'm, I'm something or other, and that feeds me a little bit. So I hide from you everything that's inconsistent with that strategy. What strategy you use just depends on what idol you're, you're going to be worshiping, and an idol is anything that we use to try to do what only God can do, namely fill the innermost need in our life. Maybe, maybe my strategy is you thinking I'm funny. You know, I, I really feel good about myself when I can make people laugh. So I will display funniness and I'll hide whatever in my life is not funny. Maybe my strategy is about you thinking that I'm all together. I've got to confident. I'm a preacher. I'm walking in Jesus. So I've got to convince you that Jesus is true by having it all together. Well, I'll have to go into hide. I I will display togetherness and I will hide all areas of my life where I don't have it together. My fear, my intimidation, my vulnerability, I'll have to hide that. And it's not just religious idols that we, we try to get life from. There's all sorts of idols. The world's full of idols. In fact, if you're walking around hungry, the world is one giant idol you're trying to get life from. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, for me, I'm not a religious person, so my idol will be success. I need to really feel successful. I'm like... Sam that we talked about a couple of weeks ago where I'm still trying to hit the home run in my head for my dad in the bottom of the sixth inning so I can be a hero rather than a failure. So I'm working hard on it. I need, really need to convince myself I'm successful. And I need to convince you that I'm successful. So I will display success. I will perform success. I'll overspend on my house and overspend on my car and overspend on my clothes so that you really are convinced that, man, I have arrived. I'm successful. I am not a failure. I'm successful. I convince myself of that. That's the criteria I use. And I'll hide all areas of my life that aren't successful. You see, it's all about performing to get life and hiding to protect life. Because if you saw how I really was, that, that would detract worth from me. You're the worth giver, so you're the worth taker. I'll put forth what will get the worth. I'll hide what will take away the worth. It's a desperate, it's a desperate, desperate way of living, but it's what we all to some degree do. Three things I want us to note about this living in the flesh as a strategy for getting and hiding. Number one, It is synonymous with eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You gotta think through this one a little bit here. It's it's not really obvious, but it's so true. When you're living in a strategy for getting life and hiding so life isn't taken, you're always assessing, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are they doing? Am I getting what I'm looking for? We're always making judgments about what is good that will get us life and what is evil that will take away life. You see, we live with the spectacles of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why we instinctively are always uh, critically assessing, judging, evaluating everything around us because we're busy getting life. There's no freedom in that. See how that is? Secondly... This strategy of performing and hiding is what blocks the flow of love to us and going through us. You can't receive the love that you need if you're, uh, from someone that you're performing before or hiding from. And you can't give the unconditional love that God wants you to give if you're busy performing before someone or hiding from them. It blocks the whole thing. Think about it this way. Here's another little diagram that I'll throw out there. Some of my diagrams work, some don't work. Let's see how this one goes. Let's contrast God's design with Satan's design, the one he afflicted us with in Genesis 3. In God's design... We've seen this this diagram before. We're getting life from God. Here's our, we're, we're a triangle because we're shaped like God. We need God to fill us. We get life from God. We give life back to God. We overflow with life towards one another. We get His love. We give His love. We overflow with His love. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's total openness. There's openness there. There's no hiding. There's no performing. It's just reality. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God when it's arrived. We, we live in reality flowing out. In Satan's design, we're not getting life from God because we're believing a lie. So our God-shaped hole is a vacuum. And because the most, the most driving force in our life is that we don't want to be empty, we, we know we need to be filled, we're now trying to get life from what's around us. We, we, we've gone over this all before. But now notice, our strategy for getting that life is our performing and our hiding. The performing is the outside. It's like a wall around us. We're walled in. We're enclosed And the wall around us, the outside of it, is our performance, and the inside of it is our hiding. It's always like this. And that performance is like a matrix that mediates all of our relationships. We never relate to each other as we really are, and therefore never love each other as we really are, because we're too busy performing and hiding uh, from each other in order to get the life that God wants to give us for free. We're enclosed. St. Augustine in the early church said that the essence of all sin is self-enclosure. Self-enclosure. That's what we do. We surround ourselves with artificiality. That's why the Bible tells us to walk in the light. When you walk in the light, it just means walking in reality. When you turn on the light, you see what's there. It doesn't mean that you're you're the light bulb. You're not the light bulb. But you are to walk in the light of the light bulb. And Jesus is the light bulb. And when the light goes on, you just see what is real. But if you're you're not getting life from Jesus Christ, that's a scary, scary thing because reality sometimes isn't that pleasant and you feel empty... So now you want to perform and hide, and what that does, it, it curves you in on yourself. You're always evaluating, how am I doing, how am I doing? You're hiding, you're performing, and now you're walking in darkness. So the Bible calls walking in darkness. You don't, you don't see what is real, what is, what is really going on. It's a, it's a desperate nature of living in the flesh, walking in the flesh. And the sad thing is this. When we put a wall around us, I'm I'm convinced that heaven will be about unconditional openness as we live and are defined in the light of God's love. We'll know each other even as we are known, Paul says. There'll be an openness there. It's radical openness. Hell, I believe, is the opposite of that. C.S. Lewis depicts hell in The Great Divorce as these people who are forever moving farther and farther away from each other. We we, we get enclosed. We're in our own little black hole, our self-absorbed neediness, and we we, we never present what we really are. We only present what we think will be a strategy for getting life, and and the very attempt to do that locks us in. It also keeps us starving. The, 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 The performance in the flesh never works. Because even if I get what I'm trying to get, I don't get it. If I'm trying to make you think that I'm holy, well then, you know what, even if you do think I'm holy, I don't feel more loved. Because I know that what you're respecting is not the real me, you're respecting my performance. The, the, the worth attaches to what I did to get it, it never gets to me as a being. But see, the, what you need in the core of your life is to be loved as a being, just for existing, for you need to have worth despite what you do, apart from what you do. But if all your worth is done because of what you do, the worth goes on what you do. It never gets to you. It is like we said a, a couple of weeks ago. It's like eating a seven-course meal and having all the, the food get caught in your teeth. It never gets to your stomach, so it never nourishes you. It may be taste good at the moment, but it never gives you health. And so it is life in the flesh. As we perform, as we hide, we stay starving and, and it never gets through. The third thing, it's not living in the knowledge of good and evil. It blocks the flow of love. And number three, it keeps us from ever healing. John Bradshaw said that a wound that is concealed is a wound that can never be healed. And see, when we hide the areas of our life that are ugly, that are wounded, that are unsightful, that are unholy. We just ensure that they'll always be there. In fact, when we internalize them, they become pollutants to our whole life. We, we, we put them in darkness, and that gives the prince of darkness avenue to, to use them to bring about destruction in our life. If I need you to think that I'm holy, I'll present holiness, I'll hide unholiness, and that just means that the unholiness will, will fester. I'll never deal with it. It will never be safe. For me to come out and deal with this issue There's too much shame about it Because I'm too busy living from performance And so uh, I I never address it Which means it just gets worse and worse and worse If I need you to think that I'm I'm joyful Because I'm more than a conqueror And and all that kind of stuff I'll hide from you all the areas of my life that are depressing Which means I'll never deal with the reasons why I'm depressed And therefore I'll never get out of being depressed I'll become a professional faker Of a person who's not depressed Even while I'm getting more and more depressed Following this here? If I need you to think that I just could display the fruit of the Spirit, this happens all over the place in Christianity. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. And so what a lot of us do is we think, oh, okay, I've got to crank out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we try to do it, which a lot of times means simply this. When you're angry, pretend like you have patience. When you're not loving, pretend like you are. You see, it becomes one more performance. If we want God to like us, we've got to put forth the fruit of the Spirit. But there's a reason why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, and it has something to do with the fact that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of your own effort. But, but see, when you're living in the knowledge of good and evil, everything's a performance, so this becomes so much of the Bible. It becomes one more ought, one more should, one more got to do, one more better do. So we try really hard to crank out a surrogate fruit that does nothing more than conceal the fact that we don't have the genuine thing. But we hide it really good. So if I think that I, I need to be uh, you know, patient, then when I'm angry, what I'll do is I'll try to act patient. And we call that a fruit of the Spirit. And so you swallow your anger. Bible says this in Ephesians chapter four, a perfect example of this. Paul says, Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a place. You see, if you're angry, walk in the light. You're angry. You're angry. Okay, be angry. Maybe you shouldn't be, but you are. Okay, that's just a fact. But don't go to bed with it. Don't let the sun go down on it. And now it becomes Paul uses a different word here, paraorge. Anger down under, submerged anger, bitterness. And it begins to rot. It begins to infect all that you're about. It, it no longer is attached to the issue that you originally had it for. Now it just becomes a pervasive pollutant in your system. Part of your internal constipation, if you will. You see? And it's all done in the name of looking godly. In the name of looking godly, we become very ungodly. And, and we don't deal with it. We don't deal with it out here. We don't take care of it. We just swallow it. We submerge it in order to put forth a good appearance and to hide what we think needs to be, be, be hidden. And the result is we get sicker and sicker. It's a vicious cycle. Vicious cycle. The better you look, the more you hide, the sicker you get, because it just festers. And the sicker you get, the more you've got to perform to hide the sickness. And the more you perform, the sicker you get. And the sicker you get, the more you perform, the more you perform, the sicker you get. It's what creates ultimately the Pharisees, who look perfect on the outside, but they're rotting to the core on the inside. It's a diabolical trap. It's destructive. My own experience, my own opinion and this maybe isn't going to sound well to some of us, but I think we've got to be very, very honest here. I think Christianity is rampant with this. Um, in fact, if I had to, to guess, religion in general, but, but Christianity. Uh, is, you see, when people... Christians believe, and religious people in general believe, that uh, you know, the stakes are very high, higher than the average person out there. Everybody performs and everyone hides. But see, to us, there's, an eternal, there's something eternal at stake. And so we, we, we perform and we hide with a vengeance. Now, there's a whole lot at stake here. We perform before God, perform before ourselves, perform before other people, because there's so much at stake. Not only that, but we're to be witnesses of the reality of Jesus Christ. So we go out into the world, and we've got to convince them that Jesus is real, and we think the way that they'll be convinced that Jesus is real is by our, our looking really, really good and looking really, really healthy and having perfect marriages and doing all that. So we really, really crank it out. And we really, really, really hide it, and it gets really, really, really sick. I think this is why so many religious contexts, so many churches feel so phony. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but it's like, well, you feel like you're walking into a Hallmark store or something. It's like, everyone's too perfect. I, you know, it's, it's like, ah, I don't belong here. And it's, the sad thing is that everybody feels like that, but they just buy into the game, the shtick, the lie. Well, we'll just put it on. You put it on your Sunday smile, put it on your Sunday clothes, put it on your, your Sunday godliness, you know, and hide everything that's inconsistent with that. And so the church, rather than being the place of radical openness and love, becomes the epitome of closeness and concealment and pretense and sickness. You see, it's really like that. Maybe you're thinking, well, gosh, you know, you shouldn't be talking about religion. And that was kind of harsh terms. You're supposed to be the preacher and you're supposed to be promoting religion. I'm sorry, but the, you know what? Jesus had nothing but wonderful, nice demeanor and words to say to prostitutes and tax collectors and, and the rest. But when it came to the Pharisees, man, they gave him a hard time and he gave them a hard time. Religion's always been the main obstacle between people and God. Because we try to do it, we try to perform it, we try to live it out. Amen. That's why we always say, Christianity is not a religion. i got no time for religion. It's not a religion, it's a relationship, and it's a relationship that's got nothing to do with how you perform and what you need to hide. It's about truth, it's about honesty, it's about wholeness. This is why we find so many scandals in Christianity. The leaders, you know, leaders who look so holy and look so healthy and look so righteous, all of a sudden they explode with this diabolical sin in their life. The poor Catholics are going through this thing right now, but we, we can't point a finger at the Catholics because, folks, I don't care what, what variety you're holding to, you got, you got your own problems. You know, you think back on the 80s with Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker and that whole fiasco and that blow up, you wonder, how is this possible? Well, it's not hard to figure out, really, if you understand the nature of the fall. You know, you get into ministry, you've got, you got a heavy investment on looking a certain way, on appearing a certain way, on performing a certain way. So you've got a major investment on hiding stuff, even from yourself, to convince yourself that you really are God's man, and you really are called for this, you see? So you stuff it, you perform it, and it gets sicker and sicker and sicker. You get into this vicious cycle. The more you perform, the sicker you get. The sicker you get, the more you perform. Until finally the thing explodes, or you get caught, or something happens. And if you handle it right in God's grace, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you. If you don't handle it right, you just go back into the same old same old performing hiding game. I, I personally believe that some of the unhealthiest people on the planet go into ministry. Honestly. Um, they go into ministry because they, they just they, they want God to like them. They want people to like them. It's the religious way of getting life. They're living off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and they just feel so good about themselves when people think that they're holy and righteous and, and are doing the work of God and they can convince themselves that they really help save people. They, and, and they're sincere in this. They're not diabolic. They're just honest people, but they're, they're buying into this, this this flesh lie. And so they go into ministry as a way of getting a need met and they end up using congregations to meet their needs even while it looks like they're meeting their the congregation's needs It's always about them. And this is why I think we've got so many splinters in Christianity, why there's, it's so hard for the church to be concerned about the one kingdom, because we're too concerned about our own little private kingdoms. You go into ministry with a need that's not met, you know what? You build your own kingdom to meet your own need. And now if somebody leaves your church or they like somebody, some other message a little better or or whatever, you take it personally. And your worth as a person goes up when the congregation gets big and your worth goes down when the congregation gets small and you're always evaluating, you're always assessing, you start manipulating, you start controlling, sometimes you start abusing and the whole thing is sick. God wants us free, amen? Totally free from this. This is the bondage regardless of how it looks regardless of how religious it is he wants us free god wants the people who are free from the need to perform free from the need to hide free from the need to impress free from the need to get life from somebody else god wants a community of people who know what it is to live without judgment to love without judgment to embrace without judgment praise god Who know what it is to be open god could give a flying rip how good you look you don't impress them. He could give a flying rip on any Bible verses. You know how 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 godly you you appear to other people. That it, his only concern about that is that it's keeping you from having a real relationship with him. What God wants, what God's concern with, what, what the passion of His heart is all about is you as a human being and all your fallenness and all of your woundedness and all of your disgusting, maybe even revolting things. He loves you. He wants the real you, and he wants you to be open about that. Amen. Hallelujah. And if you know the true God and know the true you, you can dare to be that. You see, what God wants is a community of people who love each other into wholeness. But to love each other into wholeness, because it's the only, love's the only thing that heals ultimately, to love each other into wholeness. It means we've got to love each other in our unwholeness, you see? You can't love a person into wholeness unless you first love them in their unwholeness. And they love you in your unwholeness. And it's as your love, despite your unwholeness, that you begin to grow in wholeness, praise God. A wound that's concealed is a wound that can never be healed. God wants us free, praise God. Wants us walking in freedom. You see, why, why do we hide in the body of Christ? Why would we hide? Well, we hide because we fear judgment. We fear judgment. Worse is going to be taken. And what, the reason why we fear judgment is, number one, because we judge. And we assume everyone's just like us. So we're paranoid about it. And number two, because we're not getting life from Christ. If we're getting life from Christ, number one, we don't judge. So we're not as paranoid about people judging us. But number two, even if they judge us, we don't care because that's not where our worth is found. You following this? It's so important, as we said last week, that you know who you are in Jesus Christ. You know, I I, I like to I like to study and to do the best I can do in preaching uh, and and you know being a pastor. You know, I want to do that to express the worth that I have in Jesus Christ. But if you don't agree with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna survive. You see, I don't you don't give me my name. God does. You see, my name is justified. My name is unsurpassable worth. My name is redeemed. My name is filled with the Holy Spirit. You didn't give me that name. God gave me that name. If you like me, I'm happy. But if you don't like I'm going to live with that, okay? I can deal with that. This is what it is to be free. It's what it is to be free. No longer mediating all your relationships with your knowledge of good and evil, assessing things, do the liking. Some people, you ever notice this? Some people walk around just waiting to be offended. It's like, you look at them wrong. Oh, why didn't you look at me? You know, you didn't say the right thing. They're just constantly, they got this thing going on. Because they're so needy. They need life. And what Jesus would say to you is this. Get a life. Get the one life. The life that comes from Him. And get free from that. Get free from that. When the body of Christ does this, it's a community of people who just walk in freedom, walk in love, and walk in non-judgment. And that's the, the community that God died to build for Himself. Let me close with, I think, four quick points of application here. Number one, as I just said, get life from Jesus Christ. If you're not getting life from Jesus Christ, all bets are off. You will be eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will be judging others. You'll be walking in fear of judgment. It can't. There's no other way around it because you're going to be needy, and so you're going to need other people, other things, other acts, your performance, and your hiding in order to get life. The only way to get free of this is not by trying hard. If you're hearing this sermon, as one more do. Like, okay, I'll really try hard not to judge. Mark said, go. It's not going to work. You will, I guarantee it. It all, everything hangs upon your getting life from Jesus Christ. And that's about spending time with Him, letting Him love you, basking in His love, hearing Him, seeing Him, sensing Him, put His arms around you, getting, just drinking in the worth, the unsurpassable worth that you already have for free, apart from your doing, because of who He is. I just encourage you to do that. I have a book out in in, uh, Shepherd Tape and Books uh, called Seeing Jesus, which some people have found helpful in, in developing a time of intimacy with God. A a relationship where where the core of you penetrates the core of who He is. That's what intimacy is all about. And that's what the Lord wants with us. And only then do we really drink of the fullness of life and worth that we have in Jesus Christ. Spend time getting life from Jesus Christ. Number two, live outrageously real and outrageously loving. Out of the fullness that you get from Christ, He calls us to be outrageously real and outrageously loving. To one another, to, 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 to the world, we are called to just be who we are. That's about being real. And not buying into the flesh shtick of performing and hiding. Be real and then be loving, ascribing the unsurpassable worth to others that you've gotten uh, from, from Christ. Let me say this. This is very important, not only in the church, we need to do it in the church, but even outside the church to non-believers. There's this religious thing that somehow the evangelical subculture bought into that has really damaged things, where we think that, especially among unbelievers, we need to present a certain ambiance. And because people have been thinking through the knowledge of good and evil and assessing things, they trivialize sin. And they, what's really important is that, that the, you know, the world out there, they know that you don't do, and now we've got a little trivial list of, of don't do sins. You, know, you don't smoke, and you don't drink, and, and you don't swear, and you don't dance. And, and it's really important that you present that to them, and that your life is together because that's what sells Jesus Christ. That's not what sells Jesus Christ. That's what damages the cause of Jesus Christ because now they see what any healthy person could see. Uh, They see that this is phony, that there's something unreal that's going on here. The Lord doesn't call us to witness to our own wholeness. The Lord calls us to witness to His love despite our unwholeness. You see? And so what's so crucial is that we, we Christians are outrageously real to the world around us. The one reputation God calls us to have is not our own wholeness, our own holiness. He calls us to be outrageously loving. Uh, it's by our love that the world will know that Jesus Christ is real. Not by the fact that you've got your own little list that you do or don't do. They could give a rip about your list. They don't care about your list. What they need is love. And you've got it because you're tapped into the source, who is Jesus Christ. Our job is just to offer that to people. Be real. Be real. You don't need to be perfect. You're not perfect. Be out about that. Be outrageously real. And then they can see how it's okay. You can be in a relationship with Jesus Christ even while you're outrageously real. Praise God. That's how you're witness. Number three, I encourage you to grow in an in a, in a incarnational community. Uh, what I mean by that is a community where, where people are incarnated in your life and you're incarnated in their life. Your lives are intertwined. And we'll be saying more about this. This is what the small group thing was all about. Christianity was meant to be lived in relationship, real relationship. And here is where it's, it's not appropriate to... It, we're never to go out of our way to hide stuff, but it's not appropriate to just be confessing your sin and airing out your garbage all over the place here. You know, There's, there's a time and place for everything. The place for the confession of sin is in a covenant community, a, a small group of people that you're intimately related with. Where they know you, you know them. They hold you accountable. There's all, the Bible says a lot about holding each other accountable, but that's not a large group thing. That, that's a small group thing. It's meant to, The early church was formed in house churches where people were bonded together and knew each other. They met. They lived life together. And I encourage you to be thinking about that and praying about that. If God calls you, and, and consider this, be a leader in one of these groups. And, and, but, but whether we have a group available for you or not, be building friendships and let God, be trusting God to, to build a, a small group community. Life is meant to be lived like this. You'll never be all that God wants you to be without that. I don't know what I do honestly without my small group. True, they humiliated me here this morning. Uh, you know, but they do that all the time. I humiliate them sometimes. But you know, there's an honesty, a level of honesty and intimacy and accountability there that is just so precious. It's so precious. We model God for one another. And the fourth thing I, I, I would say is, is this: apply this principle of openness to all your life. And this is scary. Scott Peck said that you, you, you have a choice between two kinds of pain. You can have a healthy pain of facing the truth or a sick pain of not facing the truth. <laughs> and those are your options. And all neuroses is, 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 is the result of not willing to face the pain of the truth. To the extent that you live concealed is the extent to which there's sickness in your life. And, and, and it, it, it's going to come out one way or another. It's going to be eating away at the quality of the life that God wants you to have. It takes guts to face the truth, but I encourage you to do that. Be ruthlessly real before God, ruthlessly real before yourself, and ruthlessly real towards the, the appropriate people that you're in relationship with. My wife and I, I close with this, but I can be real with this, all right, because I'm not getting life from you thinking that I've always had a perfect marriage. I haven't always had a perfect marriage, and uh, and I don't get life. I don't care if you judge me for that. That's your problem, not mine. Um, but uh, when we got married, we're like a lot of naive Christian couples. You know, if you, if you think each other is cute and sexy and pretty, and, and you have Jesus in common, what else do you need, really? I mean, isn't that it? That's the reason why the divorce rate in the Bible belt is about 10 percentage points higher than the national average, and the national average is really bad. But see, there's this naivete there. So we get married. And what we discovered early on is that we're very different people, very different kinds of people. The things that I, you know my life centers around and not the things that her life centers around, the things that her life centers around are not the kind of things I, my life centers around. And it's and just like, Whoa! You know, uh, there's really a difference here. And we didn't have the skills to work that out, and it was scary even to notice that. And somehow or other, we just learned how to survive with it. We got kids, and so that, that gives us something in common. So as long as your life is surviving around the kids, you don't have to notice the fact that you're, you're really kind of miles apart. And we didn't have a bad marriage. It's just that we didn't have a great marriage, because our souls, the center of our existence, weren't, weren't interpenetrating. We weren't in on each other's circle. I don't think we thought it was even possible for the other person to get in on, 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 on our circle. So you live life to some degree a little bit empty because your partner isn't on the inside. And especially because I get in the ministry. And without thinking about it, this isn't a conscious diabolical thing. You just sort of begin to assume this as a survival strategy. You hide before each other even some of, uh, of, of this distance that is there especially me my wife would sometimes say i don't feel like we're really close and i would act like i didn't know what she was talking about because i don't know if i really did know what she was talking about because my own need to to keep things stable thinking that if we were to look at the distance between us things would both sky high that own need kept it suppressed and so you settle for an okay looking marriage instead of having a great passionate marriage about six years ago we pulled the cover back as the kids are getting older you know our life is revolving less around them and all of a sudden you start noticing each other this is the empty nest thing that they always talk about it's like whoa we're, we're 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 kind of in different universes aren't we and we dared to look at that and it was scary it was messy and it was painful we invited some other people in on the whole process and that was messy and that was scary and that was painful we went to a counselor, Al Larson, and worked some of that out and, and, and tried to develop skills, you know. But it, the whole thing, sometimes life is just like that. We, you know, don't try to fix it really quick. Don't try to brush over it. Sometimes it just gets yucky. Who said it wasn't going to be like that? Sometimes it isn't. The real world is sometimes messy. And by trying to make it look not messy, we just make it messier, even though it looks a little bit better. What we found was this. I mean, it, it really was our commitment to one another that kept us together. But what we learned by looking at things honestly is we, we learned how to get in each other's world, in, inside the other person's circle, uh, and, and to share in that and to journey in that. And we discovered a quality of love I don't think either of us really knew was possible. I have felt the love for my wife that I never, never dreamed I'd experience. And I felt the love for my wife that I never dreamed that I'd have for her. And, and the marriage, it's become such a joy. It's even an adventure. Like, when you, when you learn, out of love, you enter into a person's circle and, um, uh, it's like it's so different than yours. It's kind of like, oh, wow, this is a weird way to look at the world. And they, they get into your world. It's like, whoa, this is kind of neat. And, and that's part of the adventure. That's why we normally air, marry the person who's opposite us. Opposites do attract because there's an intrigue and a curiosity that is there. That can work for you if you're open and honest and deal with issues. But it, 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 it works against you if you're always trying to hide things. Be open. Dare to look at the truth. Get life from Jesus Christ, which gives you the strength and the courage to deal with all other issues. You see, you, you, you can risk it and then confront the areas of your life individually, in your marriages, with your kids, in the church, in your small group, in your relationship with God that have been in hiding. And it can be messy. It can be painful. It can be scary. But it's the road to fullness and love. I, I, I love my wife so much. Honey, I love you so much. I love you. She, she, she's like, I love her. It's like she's adorable and, and she adores me. And it's just, okay, that's enough. I've let you in enough i want to close in prayer, and as I do, I want to ask the, the, the uh, um, prayer team to come forward, and I invite you after we're done, if there's any need whatsoever that you want to have prayed for. Maybe it's a secrecy, a, a hiding thing in your own life, or an addiction to a poor performance. Maybe it's a marriage issue. I encourage you to come forward and get prayer for that. If you're here this morning and you've never made a real decision to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to do that. Okay, that's the beginning of your relationship with Him and you start getting life from Him. In the back of this auditorium, after the service, there's a guy back there raising his hands. Uh, We have a table there. and He'll be glad to answer any questions you have about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. I encourage you to do that. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that You would be always in the process of making us people who get life from You and out of that, who live in the light, who walk in the light, who are outrageously real and outrageously loving, Lord. Baptize us in your love. Collapse the pollution of judgment in our mind that we have, even towards ourselves here, Lord. I pray for those who can't ever yet experience the unconditionality of your love for them because they're so busy judging themselves. Free them, Lord God. Free them. Fill them. And help us, Lord God, now go out to a world that is so hungry, so empty, so uninterested in our religiosity but so hungry for the love that we've received from you. Help us to overflow in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in everything we're about to this hungry world. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. God bless you guys. We love you. The altar is open. You can come forward.